0: Fatal crash on the Coquihalla. Not very often you get hit at highway speeds by a 90,000 pound commercial vehicle.
1: Dozens injured in a pileup during bad weather with the danger of more extreme cold to come.
2: Billions to boost transportation.
0: It spread over a whole series of projects across the country.
2: How much BC could get and which projects get priority.
1: And three churches go to court over COVID restrictions. The orders have a discriminatory effect targeting churches. How Dr. Henry isn't asking for forgiveness.
3: You're watching Global BC.
1: This is Global Hour at 6.
2: Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin in Hope tonight, where a chain reaction crash and a major pileup has left one person dead and many others injured.
1: Bad weather almost certainly played a part, and our Ramina Dea is live with the details. Now, Ramina, conditions are challenging, to say the least, on that stretch of road.
4: Yeah, at the best of times, Chris, they're challenging. Now, the the winter storm that blew through the area this morning created carnage on the Coquihalla, the crash involving more than 20 vehicles. It happened at around 9.40 this morning, roughly five kilometres north of Hope on Highway 5. And Global News spoke to a truck driver who told us the haunting sounds of the crunching metal and plastic will stay with him forever. He said it was absolutely horrific. Now police said that road conditions likely triggered this crash. The debris field is over a kilometer long. One person dead. 13 ground ambulances were dispatched along with three air ambulances. Five people were taken to hospital with critical and serious injuries. Another 35 people were actually treated on scene with non-life-threatening injuries. And we're being told that more than 20 people also were taken to a makeshift warming centre set up at a school in Hope.
5: There was one vehicle behind me that couldn't stop in time and just kind of weaved his way through. And uh, I just didn't want to take that chance and thankfully I came to a stop and then there was actually a police cruiser that came down and hit the guardrail behind me, missed my truck and was able to come to a stop and then there were four other vehicles that came flying down doing about 70.
0: Be safe. We are, uh, you know, in a province that gets these winter storms Uh, You can leave Vancouver where it's plus three degrees and arrive in Kelowna where it's minus 30 or Camels where it's minus 30. Talking about 6,000 feet of elevation change. Driving conditions are treacherous at the best of times.
4: So it's been more than eight hours now, Chris and Sophie, since this accident occurred and the northbound lanes in the area are still closed. No ETA on when they're going to open. We will have the latest coming up on all of our global news shows. Back to you.
1: Romina Dea in Hope for us tonight. Thanks very much, Romina. Now, this Arctic blast is bringing extremely frigid temperatures through the Fraser Valley, and the worst, we're told, is yet to come.
2: Yeah, overnight and through tomorrow, the temperature is expected to drop as low as minus 25. Grace Key joins us live with more. Grace, shelter volunteers and outreach workers are warning those sub-zero conditions could be deadly for the region's homeless population.
6: Yeah, we are just in Abbotsford off of Highway 1 with the wind picking up right now. It is already extremely cold out here right now. There have been a lot of people certainly that have been working hard trying to make sure that the homeless people do have a warm spot to sleep tonight.
5: It's actually not too bad. Not too bad? When i got a blanket around me, you know, I'm warm,
6: i 60-year-old Robert Vicario was hunkering down in this makeshift shelter in Abbotsford, getting ready for freezing overnight temperatures. He was staying in a shelter, but had an altercation with someone. What? Are you going to try and find a shelter
5: tonight or not? I've given up on that because it's not going to happen right
6: at Central Heights Church, beds went from 20 to 15 due to COVID safety protocols. The temporary shelter hasn't shut down since the pandemic hit. It's for adults 50 and over. The eldest is 85 years old. The shelter is open for 12 hours. So by morning, the 15 people staying here have to leave and head back into the cold. Abbotsford has no around-the-clock warming shelters.
0: It's always space, 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 space. Uh, is uh, hard to get. Uh, Even though we have so many huge vacant buildings in our town, either be it temples, churches, or city buildings, uh, we still can't find ways to get partnerships
7: rolling there.
6: Pastor Jesse Wagenost coordinates Abbotsford's extreme weather response shelters. They've managed to keep about the same numbers as last year.
7: One of the major struggles has been uh, drop-ins and meal services that have closed down during the day. So, well, capacity here in Abbotsford is very similar to what it was uh, last winter. During the day, people have nowhere to go in many cases.
6: Some people drop me off blankets and stuff. So, for Robert, until he finds another shelter, he's been relying on the generosity of others. So, as you can imagine, the extreme weather response shelters are opened up all over the area. As you heard, Abbotsford uh, has about 30, and they're going to be having another 10
2: opening up tomorrow, and those are going to be specifically for females. Back to you. All right, thanks for that. Grace Key reporting out in Abbotsford Forest. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with more on this deep freeze. How cold is it going to get, Christy?
8: Well, we're talking about record-breaking conditions, possibly overnight tonight. Now, the coldest areas will be through the Howe Sound, Fraser Valley, where we could see wind chills from minus 15 to minus 25. Metro Vancouver will likely see a range from about minus 8 to minus 14, and Vancouver Island anywhere from minus 5 to minus 10. Again, that's with the wind chill. So what does that mean? Well, the risk of fr- Frostbite really gets high as we get into that minus 25 area where we're at a moderate level. So certainly cause for concern. I know those of you in northeastern BC are probably wondering what all what all the fuss is about where you were at minus 45 with the wind chill and a very high risk of frostbite. But for our region, it's very rare for us to see that kind of uh, uh, cold. Now, snowfall in the forecast. We've got a major one on the way. I'll show you who could see it as early as Friday afternoon. All right.
2: Thanks for that, Christy. Until
1: then, here's a look at today's COVID numbers. We have 469 new cases, bringing BC's total to 71,856. There have been six more deaths, which means we've now lost 1,269 people to complications of the virus. 230 patients are in hospital, 66 of them in the ICU. 66,167 are considered recovered leaving us with just over 4,300 active cases and 6,820 people in isolation. There is better news in Whistler these days, where COVID-19 transmission rates appear to be slowing down. As of Monday, 43 new cases of the disease have been identified, along with 24 older, previously undiagnosed cases, for a total of 614 so far this year. The majority continue to be among young adults, with transmission occurring predominantly in household settings. Vancouver Coastal Health is repeating the advice to Whistler residents and to visitors to avoid social gatherings. Stay home when sick and make sure you maintain physical distance.
2: Premier John Horgan is defending his government's decision to up the ante in its attempt to force three churches to stop holding in-person services.
1: The premier says an application for an injunction against the churches is a response to their lawsuit, but lawyers for the churches say it goes too far. Sarah McDonald reports. Pray for... Bonnie Henry and
9: John Horgan for Adrian Dix. What happens when religious beliefs and provincial health orders clash in the midst of a pandemic? In the case of three reformed Christian churches named in an application for injunction by the province.
7: The ticket's going to uh, Calvary Chapel.
9: They continue to defer to their highest authority.
3: It is a fundamental tenet of their belief that in-person worship
1: is vital.
9: That puts their leadership in defiance of BC's top doctor, who, backed by the province, is seeking an injunction order against the Fraser Valley churches come Friday to ban all events and religious services on the controversial holy ground in question. There
0: are a small group of people who believe Uh, that this is something that should be litigated.
9: If granted by the B.C. Supreme Court, that injunction would also go one step further, giving police the power to detain anyone, even planning on attending a religious service hosted by the respective organizations.
10: It's unconstitutional from a law professor's point of view. If anyone has a legal right to an injunction, I would suspect it's the religious community to get an
5: exemption.
9: There is legal precedent pitting church against state and COVID-19 in California, where the Supreme Court lifted a statewide ban on in-person services last week.
11: We need to keep that health and safety of others in
9: mind. Something both parties here say is their top priority too. It would be
3: hard-fetched to imagine any epidemiologist to say, that uh,
9: worshiping in a room is more dangerous than buying flat screen TVs at Costco or going out to the pub. Christian political advocacy group ARPA, which has intervened for other religious organizations in other high profile cases, is now looking to do the same in this one. If ever there was a need for the support function of churches, it, it, it has to be now. With both sides facing off in court on March 1st, injunction or not. Sarah McDonald, Global News.
2: Families and lovers have been using Peace Arch Park on the Canada-U.S. border for meetings that bend the COVID guidelines. It's so popular. Canada has closed the north half, and now two B.C. MLAs want the American side shut down too. But as Richard Zussman reports, Premier John Horgan says that decision is out of his hands.
10: It's home to weddings, family reunions, funerals. But now neighbours living by Surrey's Peace Arch Park on the U.S. border are worried about this, an emerging tent city.
6: We are concerned here, like most of us, I think, because uh, the people will be here and they're hugging people and they're intense, not social distancing, often not wearing a mask, and then they come back into Canada through our community.
10: On a chilly day, there are just a handful of tents. But weekends bring the crowds. Partners from the United States and Canada meeting. And that and the worry of COVID variants has two liberal MLAs calling for the province to step in.
12: I'm asking for the premier to, at a point where he's asking us to do more, for him to do a little bit more. And that is to work with Washington State to make sure that we have measures in place to close this
10: loophole. Concerns especially high with Valentine's Day coming up. We
12: really need to make sure that we're protecting our communities and uh, I don't see that happening here.
0: Well, uh, far be it for me to uh, get in the way of uh, those who love each other.
10: Love aside, Horgan says health officials have not raised the park as a place of COVID transmission, nor is closing the park in its jurisdiction or even Washington states.
0: I believe that the federal government is managing those issues as they should. The international
10: borders are their responsibility. When the issue was raised in Ottawa. Does the
13: minister not see this as a public health issue?
10: There were few answers. The measures that we put in place do require all, all people re- returning from the U.S. to enter into quarantine. The park is an international no-man's land, officially United States, but open to Canadians without speaking to a border official, meaning visitors aren't required to quarantine or get a COVID-19 test.
0: Sometimes there's parties of 50, even 100 people at a time, weddings, reunions. It's absolutely ridiculous.
10: Leaving neighbours to feel... They are in a no-man's land of their own. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.
1: Former and retired TransLink employees may have been caught up in December's data breach. In an internal email, Interim TransLink CEO Gigi Chen Kuo says the restricted network drive accessed by the hackers also contained personal information of some former employees, retired employees, and a limited number of their spouses. TransLink says they'll be reaching out to the individuals impacted by the privacy breach and offering them access to a credit monitoring service.
2: A major investment for transit was announced today. The federal government is promising nearly $15 billion to cash strapped cities across Canada for public transit projects. Ted Czernicki has more on when the money will be doled out and how B.C.'s municipalities could spend their slice of the pie.
14: We need efficient and modern public transit systems that make our communities more connected.
3: 14.9 billion sounds like a lot of money, but in classic public relations spin, there's that over a number of years thing.
0: You have to remember it's spread over seven years, and in particular, um, it's it's spread over a, a whole series of projects across the country.
3: But hey, it's new money for capital projects like more battery-powered buses and for some the idea of a permanent annual fund of $3 billion is nothing short of seismic.
0: This is a big change for the federal government um, with uh, the announcement of a permanent fund. It's been
3: something we've been fighting for for a long time. To put $3 billion nationally into perspective, Vancouver's new Broadway corridor extension of the Millennium Line is costing a half a billion dollars per kilometre. Still, let's hope this new commitment from Ottawa might encourage private investors. The mayor all but hinting today that money is in the works for extending SkyTrain all the way to UBC.
0: You can imagine a SkyTrain running from Langley to UBC. That's, uh, that's what we're trying to do. And some of these monies, uh, we're just waiting for details, but could be used for the business case.
3: So now cities can plan for the future knowing there's an annual fund starting in 2026. But it's an uncertain future. Apple tracks who uses their map app to get around. And you can see how much of a hit public transit took in Vancouver and continues to take. Usage is down 56% from normal, while driving is down only 15%. TransLink says its ridership numbers are similar, running at about 40% of normal.
0: Certainly there are going to be some jobs that are going to be worked remotely. But then I think that there are a whole lot of other jobs that still are going to remain uh, as important in terms of access and being in a location, through which I think this funding, uh, I think, can make a big difference.
3: Almost $6 billion of today's announcement is to go to shovel-ready projects anywhere across the country. That can mean more bike lanes, sidewalks, maybe even a gondola up Burnaby Mountain for students. Ted Czernicki, Global News.
1: Quick action by Vancouver firefighters prevented what could have turned into a serious high-rise fire. The fire broke out on a balcony on the 8th floor of the Concord this Arc building on Nelson and Pacific in Yaletown. Firefighters say no one was home at the time and the fire didn't set off the smoke detectors inside the unit. But luckily they had a crew in the area and were able to use a crane to extinguish the flames before they could spread. Another crew broke into the unit and made sure the fire was out. No one was injured and there's no word yet on the possible cause.
2: A former UBC student and activist for women's rights has just been released from a Saudi prison after being sentenced for actions that would never be considered criminal here. Why she's still not exactly free, next on the News Hour. A Lower Mainland school takes advantage of the unusually cold weather to build their own outdoor curling rink. That's coming up.
1: And Surrey Mounties bust a trespassing pig. How they encouraged it to get in the back of the cruiser coming up later.
2: Right now, though, a women's rights activist and UBC grad has been released from Saudi prison. Lujain Al-Hatloul's family confirming after 1,001 days, she is finally home.
1: The news is a big relief for those advocating for her release. But as Kylie Stanton reports, the fight for her freedom is far from over.
13: It is a tremendous joy to see. Smiling safe and finally home. Family and friends of Lujain Alhath-Lewel have been waiting years for this moment. I mean, she's been released after 1001 days in prison, and I think that's a lot to celebrate. And the news is traveling fast. Her sister tweeting a photo of a video chat captioned, Lujain is home. The 31-year-old University of British Columbia graduate is one of Saudi Arabia's most prominent women's rights campaigners. She was arrested in May of 2018, but just recently sentenced to nearly six years in prison back in December. During her pre-trial detention, she allegedly endured torture, solitary confinement and sexual abuse. The charges? Seeking to change the Saudi political system and harming national security after publicly opposing the kingdom's now rescinded law that barred women from driving. Her early release was widely expected. Even U.S. President Joe Biden voiced his support.
0: She was a powerful advocate for women's rights, and releasing her was the right thing to do.
13: But this didn't come without a fight. Her friends and family and supporters, people that we never met in life, were believing that she deserved to be released, and still that fight is far from over. According to Amnesty International, El Hatloul remains under a five-year travel ban and a three-year probation period, where she can't speak about her detention.
4: There's still going to be a lot of monitoring on Lujain herself, monitoring her phone, her social media accounts. Um, so in that sense, she's probably going to be spending a lot of time at home.
13: Supporters plan to continue working to ensure El Hatloul truly finds freedom. Hopefully, paving the way for so many others who are still serving time.
6: There are still other political prisoners in Saudi Arabia, around the world. We have to continue standing up and
13: demanding justice and freedom for anyone who is fighting for a better world. Kylie Stanton, Global News.
2: Still ahead, unexpected success for accidental entrepreneurs.
7: And your business background is uh, pretty much zero. <laughs>
2: How he put his music career on hold to help his father in a time of great need.
1: Also tonight, fear history will repeat itself in India with implications for thousands here in B.C. too.
15: Counterflow is out at the Massey Tunnel, no delays north or south on Highway 99. Just remember there is overnight maintenance inside the tunnel from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. with lane closures both ways. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass provides no-cost windshield chip repairs with your insurance coverage. And Kermac donates 100% of their income from chip repairs through Kermak Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. Well, a
1: brother and sister team are cooking up a pandemic reinvention of their family food business, serving up a new business model that they hope will be a recipe for success.
2: At the same time, they may have found the right ingredients to revitalize Vancouver's Chinatown. Aaron MacArthur has their story.
7: In what might be the last place you would expect to hear an impromptu opera concert, you will find William Liu, a classically trained singer turned owner of Camway Dim Sum. Mm In the back of everybody's minds, everybody's always thought that I would take it over eventually. Cam Way was founded in 1990 by William's father. After a significant health scare, William put his music career on hold to come home to Vancouver to take over the family business with his sister Susan. (laughs) The siblings invested in a major renovation over the last year to pivot towards more retail, including hot items served at the front counter. It's a business decision, but it's also one that is aimed at the community. In our business, we get a lot of people that are familiar with Chinatown, familiar with our business and come back to
16: Chinatown just to get that experience again, which really means the most to me.
7: The refurbished Cam Y comes as the neighborhood is trying to reinvent itself too. Traditional Chinese stores are closing as an aging population moves out of the area. Helping the siblings navigate City Hall and take the pressure off during the transition was a team led by the Strathcona Business Improvement Association and the Youth Chinatown Coalition. But I can really s-
5: sense that there is a younger generation uh, getting ready to, uh, to be involved and, and participate and, and uh, yeah, g- give
7: Chinatown uh, a future. William and Susan Liu are optimistic their investment will pay off in the short term for their business. But long term for Chinatown as a whole. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
2: And now we are hungry.
7: Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Just ahead.
2: High rolling VIPs getting special treatment. I don't
12: remember him being asked
1: the the source
12: of the cash.
2: What the acting CEO says about the clientele his casinos targeted.
1: And she's related to rock royalty, but that's not why Nora Hendricks is getting a street named after her in Vancouver. Join Global BC as we celebrate the hope your help can bring with three days of stories and interviews all leading up to this year's Variety Children's Charity Show of Hearts Telethon, Saturday, February 20th on Global BC.
15: Traffic is steady at the Burrard Street Bridge tonight and seeing minimal delays both ways over at the Cambie Street Bridge. Don't forget, the Granville Street Bridge has lane closures 24-7 in both directions, so that's usually the busiest route in and out of downtown Vancouver. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $15 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
1: The acting CEO of Great Canadian Gaming has been testifying over the past couple of days at the Cullen Commission into Money Laundering at BC Casinos.
2: Terence Doyle says despite building the luxury River Rock Hotel and opening high-limit tables, the company's focus was never on attracting international high rollers, but instead on making local VIPs happy.
11: From high-limit VIP rooms to an award-winning luxury hotel... The man in charge of Great Canadian Gaming's overall operations said the River Rock Casino Resort was developed for a local clientele.
12: We had very little business um, that was, I call it, international business where people were flying in or traveling in specifically to gamble.
11: Terence Doyle, now the interim CEO for Great Canadian, told the Cullen Commission despite pressure from within the company to attract high rollers from overseas, he never bought into that business plan.
12: That Our customer base at River Rock um, was actually local residents of Richmond that may have traveled to Hong Kong and places at times.
11: When concerns were raised about high rollers bringing in massive amounts of cash into the River Rock Casino, great Canadians sometimes offered to deal with the player directly. Do you agree that
9: um, suggests that there's some concern here about um, offending this patron?
11: Absolutely. When a top-level VIP was interviewed about using large amounts of cash, senior executives from BC Lottery Corporation and Great Canadian took on the task. Doyle even asking then-CEO Rod Baker to attend.
12: We wanted to um, make sure that the customer um, known he was being respected.
11: That conversation was focused on the high roller's personal safety. When Commission Counsel asked if anyone brought up where he got the cash...
12: I don't remember him being asked the, the source of the cash.
11: That respected high roller was later involved in two incidents involving casino staff, including an alleged sexual assault.
12: It's a very um, you know unfortunate incident where a VIP player um, playing at a table um, uh, assaulted inappropriately, touched a, a gaming worker.
11: Doyle told the commission he learned about the incident the next day. The VIP player was eventually barred for six months.
12: This does not support the core values of the company. And, you know, our main objective here is to support our employees and to make sure we don't have this type of customer in our facility, no matter what level they're
11: playing at. While Great Canadian's attempt to have the player barred provincially was denied, its other request was granted.
9: But Great Canadian asked that it be shortened to three months, right? That is correct.
11: In 2018, it was mandated that all high rollers buying in for $10,000 or more declare the source of their cash. Doyle called the anti-money laundering measure smart and thoughtful.
12: There's a very clear and easy way to source it back to the origin as far as, you know, a Canadian bank and the rest.
11: When asked if Doyle has implemented the same rule for great Canadian casinos across Canada, including new projects in Ontario, the short answer is no. John Hua, Global News.
2: Many B.C. residents are feeling familiar fears amid increasing tensions around the farmers' protests in India.
1: That's because Sikhs, who make up only about 2% of that country's population, have been heavily characterized as the faces of the movement and as anti-national extremists. Nitu Garcha shows us how that has people in B.C. concerned about a potentially deadly crackdown in India.
17: We all know the term history repeats itself, but what Sukhdeep Singh didn't expect is to watch back on his 2016 documentary about the Sikh
5: massacre in Didli, India, fearing a repeat. Things are actually moving in the same direction that was done back in 1984.
17: He was in grade nine, a student with dreams, watching his world crumble around him.
5: I would say that was the worst time of my life.
17: He says he was lucky not to have lost any immediate family members, but is a victim of living through trauma and constant fear. Feelings that are coming back today as tens of thousands of farmers fight not only new laws, but for their right to peacefully demonstrate.
5: Same thing's happening now when you are asking for your constitutional right. And you are being projected as anti-national?
17: Pro-government supporters painting farmers as sick separatists, even terrorists in recent days, is sparking the kind of polarization that led to this. In June of 1984, after violence and failed negotiations, the Indian army attacked Sikhism's holiest shrine, the Golden Temple. Codenamed Operation Blue Star, the government's aim was to flush out separatists. The Sikh community around the world reacted strongly. Four months later, in retaliation, two of Prime Minister Indira Gandhi's Sikh bodyguards assassinated her. What followed in November of 1984 was the mass slaughtering of Sikhs in Delhi.
5: That's why the people start looking at how to escape the situation. That's why there's the biggest migration. I think India hasn't matured really well after colonization around understanding each other's positions. uh, And government has a role to play.
17: Prime Minister Narendra Modi's actions even have the Khalsa Divan Society in Vancouver, which went against protesters and hosted him in 2015, rethinking that move.
3: What's happening today, if we had known it, probably would be a little bit better, uh, different uh,
5: decision.
17: In honor of the 1984 victims, sick Canadians hold one of the country's largest blood drives every year.
5: Love, compassion, care, equality, that's the only way to go.
17: Sukhdeep, a volunteer since its inception, believes this is the best way to prevent the past from predicting the future. Neetu Garcha, Global News.
2: Well, the pandemic isn't going to stand in the way of an annual community initiative delivering care packages to women's shelters on Valentine's Day organized by a number of faith groups from across canada volunteers have been busy assembling hundreds of packages which include donations like toothbrushes shampoo hygiene products and other comfort items local school have prepared a valentine's message to be included in the packages these are now being dropped off to women at nearly 30 shelters in bc this year even with covid 19 the community has resolved to proceed with the event while maintaining physical distancing and other community health precautions.
4: Being able to be a part of something where, um, especially in today's world, where unfortunately there's so much about the differences, and instead of focusing on the differences, being able to gather with other faith groups to um, see what we have in common. What, what can we do together? What is the, the religions, instead of seeing everything that's different about us, see what's in common about us, the, that we all want to strive to be kind to our neighbors, to do good to others, to take care of others that are in need.
1: Great message. And straight ahead, the black pioneers who helped shape British Columbia.
4: I don't think people are aware of the um, struggles that the pioneers went through.
1: Their names and incredible accomplishments, hiding in plain sight and a new exhibit to honor them.
2: And the hog that headed for the hills and how Surrey RCMP finally got it back in the barn.
1: One of the key figures in Vancouver's black history will have a street named in her honor. Vancouver City Council voting unanimously to name one of the new streets around the St. Paul's hospital redevelopment, Nora Hendricks Way. Hendricks was a key figure in the Hogan's Alley community and, yes, the grandmother of guitarist Jimi Hendrix. She co-founded the Fountain Chapel, the city's first black church and worked as a cook at Vi's Chicken and Steakhouse, hosting such luminaries as Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald. Nora Hendricks passed away in 1984 at the age of 100.
2: Well, while many of us know of notable contemporary black British Columbians like Joe Fortes, there are many others of African descent whose contributions to B.C.'s early beginnings have largely gone unrecognized.
1: Community reporter Michael Newman has the story of a new digital exhibit that brings those important stories to life. B.C.'s black history is rich with stories of perseverance and
16: courage.
4: I don't think people are aware of the um, struggles that the pioneers went through but not only the blacks you know also the irish the polish the germans the ukrainians
16: to engage the public in this history the bc black history awareness society has launched a digital exhibit highlighting how a group of up to 800 people of african descent migrated to bc
10: much of the black community that came at the end, uh, end of the 1850s came from the United States, mostly fleeing from increasingly oppressive Californian legislation that sought to protect the rights of slave owners.
13: So they wanted to have some place where they could go and make something of themselves for their children and, and their children's children, and they didn't have that in the United States.
16: For those early settlers, they landed in BC right here in Victoria Harbor with a warm hospitable welcome from Governor James Douglas, whose mother was of African descent. With hopes of a better life, some settled right here in Victoria while others went to Salt Spring Island or as far North as Barkerville. They settled on dispossessed indigenous land. And despite the racial prejudices they also encountered here, they went on to do great things. Many like John Craven Jones left their mark. Jones was Salt Spring Island's first teacher where he taught Latin, philosophy, and even human rights to kids of all different backgrounds, teaching for many years without pay. Several of the other names of these pioneers can be found right underneath our feet in Bastion Square and on Government Street in Victoria. Names like Mifflin Wister Gibbs, who in November of 1866 was elected to the Victoria City Council and was a delegate at the Yale Conference that framed the terms of BC's entry into Confederation. His contributions are marked on a plaque that can be seen today in Victoria's James Bay. These pioneers left their mark on the B.C. we know today, and the B.C. Black History Awareness Society is working to ensure that their stories are not forgotten. To learn more, go to bcblackhistory.ca. Michael Newman, Global News.
2: Oh, great exhibit.
1: Sure is. All right, let's check in with Christy and a little bit more on this weather and the cold spell we seem to be in the middle of right now.
8: Yeah, so the big story over the next 24 hours really will be the cold, as we talked about earlier. But we certainly had a bit of excitement today with some snowfall. Hardest hit regions were across Vancouver Island and Nanaimo area in particular, and then Powell River as well. But we're really only talking about a couple of centimeters in Metro Vancouver. It tried really hard, but really this was about all we saw. Uh, So some people probably having a good laugh at that. This is the forecast for the evening and overnight period. Minimal amounts, again, probably people having a good laugh at that. so we're talking about zero to two centimeters, just flurries for these areas, and up towards Campbell River, you may see a pocket of about four centimeters. That's about it. It's really the cold, down to uh, minus 25 through the Fraser Valley tonight, minus 15, and potentially in eastern metro Vancouver. Friday's when we're going to see that big wave of snowfall. It pushes out by late Saturday, but overnight Friday into Saturday morning, that's when we're going to see the majority of the accumulation. Friday afternoon will be a good time to get out with the sleds, and then we've got more snow on the way for Sunday morning, although it will likely change over to rain by the afternoon hours. In the meantime, uh, cold but sunny tomorrow. So wind chills, we're talking about, sorry, uh, temperature high values are a good 10 to 12 degrees uh, below seasonal for this time of year. That's why we'll potentially see record-breaking conditions overnight tonight. Minimal uh, flurries expected. It's mostly cold and clear right through till the end of the day on Friday when that major snowstorm is set to push in. And I'll leave you with tonight's central windows weather. Wind which is a great shot from the Pressey Lake area where it was minus 35 today. Lauren Smith is sending us that one. Oh,
1: that's
2: so cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Christy.
1: All right, uh, how about that runaway pig? It all started when Ducky escaped from his home in South Surrey and it ended with RCMP using some home cooking to capture him.
2: Well, before this, Ducky had ended up in a neighbor's yard where he bit the homeowner in the behind and blocked his entry back into the house. Ducky also charged responding officers but eventually ended up on 176th Street where they were worried he would be hit by a car. Officers quickly developed a PPP, pig penning plan, and used one officer's homemade dinner to lure him into the backseat of a cruiser. Once he was safely in custody, Ducky was taken home and released without charges. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Not appearing on a Crime Stoppers episode near you, I'm sure. But, wow, that was fun.
14: Would you really want a pig in the backseat of your car for any length of time? I mean, I, good on them. Really that that them. was ingenuity, but still. Uh, yeah, you, you have to get the armor all out after that. Hey, if you uh, want to give the Canucks an excuse for their start to this year, maybe it's because they played more games than anyone else. Today they got a chance to practice, which Travis Green says his team really needs.
1: We want structure in our game, and we haven't been able to get to either as much as we'd like because of the schedule.
14: Well, they will get back to action tomorrow night against Calgary. It'll be the first of four against
1: the Flames. Sounds good, and an elementary school that really rocks, making the best of below average temperatures with its own outdoor curling rink. Why? He's ready to roll. Did you not expect
2: that? No, I was (laughs) caught off guard. All right, Squire, clearly I'm done.
14: That's okay. You go back to whatever you were doing. Uh, Travis Green uh, got to do something he hasn't been able to do a lot of so far this season, and that's hold a practice. And no team in Canada outside of the Ottawa Senators needs practice more than the Canucks. Well, the Canucks either need practice or more games against the Ottawa Senators. That would certainly help. But instead, they have four straight against Calgary, three of them in a row at Rogers Arena. And that's where we sent Jay today.
0: Well, after their disastrous six-game road trip, which concluded with five straight losses against the Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs, this much we know. The Vancouver Canucks just aren't capable of hanging with the upper echelon of the all-Canadian division. Stanley Cup contending teams don't give up 26 goals while scoring just 10. Neither do playoff teams. And right now, the Vancouver Canucks appear to be far away from being both, which begs the question, just what is this team's true identity? The
12: you know, last game was a step in the right direction. Obviously, we know the games before that, that is not our team identity. And I think we, we took a step in the right direction. Um, our last game, uh, obviously it wasn't the result we wanted, but there was some ter- certain things that we did a lot better. Um, a lot of, in a lot of ways, it was our team identity. Um, and I think we just got to keep building off that. And we can't just have a one-off night where, you know, we're starting to turn in the right direction. We have to keep going up and, um, you know, what better way to start than to, uh, tomorrow night.
0: So the Canucks are now past the quarter pole of the season. They're 16 games played as the most of any National Hockey League team. And where things get interesting or perhaps more concerning are all these losses that has them languishing second to last overall in the division. The teams that they're going to likely have to beat out for a playoff spot, Edmonton, Winnipeg and Calgary, have all jumped past the Vancouver Canucks, which makes this upcoming three-game homestand against the Calgary Flames stand out. Calgary has four games in hand on Vancouver we don't have to tell you who needs to win most of those hockey games. Are are
1: the guys feeling full of confidence? Probably not. Uh, But the best way to get confidence back is go play your ass off and play hard. Uh, They're on the side of defense. I think we've been trying to tighten things up defensively. Uh, It's an old saying, but good defense creates good offense. Um, And that's at the end of the day when you play a 200-foot game. uh, good things happen, and to win in this game, you have to have that anyway.
0: So one final thing about this struggling hockey club and its coach, Travis Green. Despite the world of concern surrounding his club, yesterday Green made a point of reaching out to my fellow sports media colleagues who lost their radio jobs when the plug was pulled on TSN 1040. Now, it may seem like a small thing, but I can tell you it meant a great deal to those who made TSN 1040 the number one sports radio station here in Vancouver. Reporting inside the cold Rogers Arena minus the snow, Jay Januar, Global Sports.
14: Jay's always complaining about the cold in Rogers Arena. I should get him a shawl. Uh, okay, Leafs and Habs are two best in Canada right now, and that's Josh Anderson scoring on the first shot on goal, giving Montreal a one nothing lead. Second period, though, an unlikely goal scorer, Travis McDermott, who doesn't usually get many, but he gets this one, and the Leafs have had a 2 and a third like they did against the Canucks the other night, and they're up 3-1. Well, it's more than likely the Vancouver Whitecaps will have to start their Major League Soccer season in a temporary American home. That's no surprise, given the border restrictions, but it might not be Portland, Oregon, as it was at the end of last year. The favorite spot right now for the Whitecaps is Salt Lake City. The advantage there is the Whitecaps would have their own training facility. The MLS wants to start its season on April 17th. The Whitecaps eventually do want to play games at BC Place this season, but of course we all know that depends on the pandemic situation. Kyle Lowry and the Raptors against the Washington Wizards. They used to say nobody beats the Wiz. Well, the Raptors always beat the Wiz. Norman Powell here with a bucket. It was an easy first half for Toronto. They were up 74-61. Aaron Bain, the dunk from Kyle Lowry. And here's Pascal Siakam getting in the paint, then dishing off. And Powell drops a trade. There was a... 19 successful three-pointers from the Raptors. They've beaten Washington eight times in a row.
1: There you go.
2: All right. Thanks, Squire.
1: Still to come, School of Rock. Why competition is heating up at St. Helens Elementary new curling rink. While many people in Metro Vancouver approached this cold snap with a sense of dread, let's be honest, teachers at Burnaby St. Helens Elementary saw an opportunity.
2: As Linda Aylsworth reports, they hurried hard and built something to help put the pandemic blues on ice.
7: So we're not allowed to walk on the
2: ice right now. One
18: of the challenges that the COVID-19 pandemic creates for school staff is finding ways to make life normal for students when it clearly is not.
4: We had to apply creativity and every week, actually every day, we had to make some changes. You put the handle on it and just give it a good push. The latest
18: change, a curling rink. An inspiration that came to the principal of St. Helens Elementary in Burnaby after a hike up Grouse Mountain.
15: And I
4: noticed beautiful ice rink. There was only two kids on it. And uh, I went on it without the skates and idea just came out. Earlier this winter,
7: they had hoped to create a full skating rink. The temperatures weren't working for us, but now that they were and they were coming up pretty quick, we thought this would be a a quick solution. They already had
18: the basic structure and supplies, a long jump runway, not much use in the winter, and an enormous tarp purchased for that now-defunct skating rink to line it
7: with. We had an indoor curling set that we've been able to adapt to put outside here, so the kids are able to enjoy that right now.
5: Since Bonnie Henry has encouraged us to stay outside more often, I think our school really put that into perspective and made something creative and fun for us to do. I think it was really fun, and I'm kind of glad I hit the bullseye. It was, like,
7: really cool. Cool indeed, but not
18: quite freezing. Not at this very moment.
7: It's pretty slippery right now because it's melting a little bit
18: but it's a problem that cold Arctic blast should make
7: short work of. I think the kids are loving it right now, and I think uh, they're going to love it for the next few days. (laughs) Linda Aylesworth, Global News
14: they shorts, yeah, the oh. phys ed class.
8: Kids.
14: Tough kids. Kids are tough. They always wear shorts when it's
8: cold. Oh, I'm amazed I when I, I see that. teenagers walk by and they're barely <laughs> <Yes>. wearing anything. <laughs> Even now, probably, Christian. Yes. It is cold out there. That's right. So we are expecting wind chills in Metro Vancouver, likely down to about minus 14, minus 15 through the Fraser Valley, minus 25. So very cold tonight. Bundle up. And maybe a few flurries, but really it's Friday that we're watching for snow.
1: All right, thanks very much, Christy. Stay safe, stay warm out there, everyone. We'll see you back here tomorrow.